and welcome to episode 63 of Penny Red. There was no episode last week. I had a streak of 62 consecutive weeks. Um, and then last week you got a week off, was it? I don't know. Um, today my guest is uh, is Sean Hayworth. Hi, Sean. How's it going? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing uh, just fine. Um, just a little bit of a teaser for next week. I'm hoping that uh, the stars will align and I'll have Epidiah Ravishol and perhaps a couple of others on air talking about uh, this Nano Games um, I don't know if I would go so far as to call it a movement or a craze or a fad or anything like that, but uh, he was creating a new business card and he decided he wanted to make his business card a little bit more interesting, so he made a game that fished on one. So we're going to talk about that a little bit next week. Have you um, have you seen any of these around the place? Uh, I I have not gotten a chance to to actually like really dig into it, uh, but right. uh, but Vincent Baker did one that was. A little nano gamey, I think. Uh, he was testing out a, a design on uh, yes. on on G plus, and it was it was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. He, I think there, he had a couple of posts where he played some games, maybe with with Meg, and maybe I'm not sure if Epidai was in there. But I'm hoping he'll be on as well. But uh, don't tune in next week with the expectation of uh, of seeing Vincent. Uh, it'll definitely be uh, well, at least at the moment, it looks like it's going to be me and uh, and Epidai at least, and there may be another couple of people on there as well. But that's that's all I can really say about that. So uh, we've had a couple of weeks off. Last week I was at the Calgary Comic Con, um, which is actually pretty big, about sixty five thousand people. Um, but, uh, yeah, so whereas at the Edmonton convention, I was saying stuff like, do you like role-playing games? When I was trying to get my pattern, get people to come and see me and they'd say, I don't know what that is. And I'd say, well, do you want to know about it? And they would say no, or, or something like that. I think I refined my, my pattern sort of way, but, but this, this year, because I just finished faith, I actually had them no matter what they said. I said, do you, do you know, uh, do you play role-playing games? And they would say no. And then I'd say, well, then I've got just the game for you. Um, so, so that, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so they, they were stuck either way. Um, so I got to demo that uh, quite a few times for uh, for quite a few people. Um, Keith Baker um, from episode, I want to say episode fifty three, but I don't know if that's accurate. Anyway, Keith Baker from um, Eberron Fame was uh, was at the commission. I got to see him, um, and he play, he chimed in with a. And when one of the games that I played, I sort of ran a truncated version of, of Faith the People, which was good. I got to spot all the spelling mistakes. I didn't get the 50 times I went through ahead of time, but uh, but fortunately nothing nothing major, and uh, and it went pretty it went pretty well um, there. And for anybody that follows me on Google Plus, um, Daniel Hodges, and look for the one with Faith on it. I actually ran into a guy who looks exactly like a character from the game Cleveland. If you're familiar with the game, or uh, um, if you've sort of been watching things go past, but you've got a poster there and there's a dude look exactly like it was sort of sort of spooky style. And uh, one other little bit of housekeeping before we crack on with the show, a big thanks to Jesse and Clace. I don't know if I said that right, Clace. Uh, he's a Swedish, so Claes, maybe, something like that. Anyway, uh, thanks very much for those guys, their kind words and uh, supporting, the, uh, supporting the game. Anyway, that's what I've been up to in the last uh, week or so. What are you, Sean, what have you been up to? Oh, uh, you know, being, being a parent and a gamer and that's about it uh just been running well i'm running one game a week and playing in another game and and uh i just signed up for guitar lessons and yeah filling up my time sign up for guitar lessons it seems strange for you to say that when you've got all these guitars sitting behind you in the shot there people on the ear can't hear i can't see it obviously but i can tell you that i'm looking at one 
two, three guitars. Yeah. I can see in the background there. Yeah, there's 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 three guitars and there's a mandolin uh, sitting over on a table right, over there. Right. Uh, you know, it's a it's a funny thing because when you've been playing for as long as I have, but are as terrible as I am, uh, <laughs> then you realize that hey, maybe I should you know actually have somebody teach me things because uh, because. There, there's this weird thing that happens where if you're not being pushed to do something, you learn exactly as much as is adequate for for what you're doing. So right. when I was when I was a teenager and learning to play guitar, uh, we were playing basically like garage band tunes, like mm-hmm. Nirvana and Pearl Jam and, and whatever was popular at the time, mm-hmm. which requires a certain skill level, which is where right. I got to, and then that was good enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now I'm kind of at the point where I I'm, I'm like I need to do I need to do something more. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I find that because uh, I do a little bit of web coding on the site, like I code the site, and I do a little bit of coding here and there for for other people. But I'm certainly not. Um, I'm certainly not cutting edge. I can do what I can do, and that that's about it. But I know that as soon as I sort of look at something and I learn something else, then I go, oh, I could put that with that, and I could put that with that, and, and like you say, you do just as much as you need. But you know, doing the taking a look at something from a more structured standpoint opens up all kinds of possible combinations that you hadn't hadn't occurred to you before right so yeah yeah exactly it should be uh should be good time so you can have some of our uh, maybe in the future we'll look forward to some some of your stylings on the uh, podcast what sort <laughs> yeah. of are you like learning like rock guitar or uh you know i've i've, I've always played played rock and roll uh the mm. the the guy that i signed up with lessons from uh does just kind of a mix of a lot of different stuff including like jazz and funk and right and whatnot but he really emphasizes music theory uh and okay, that's my sure. weakness is i am i can read music but i'm very slow i read music like a third grader reads fox right. and socks it's frightening right. <laughs> uh, so so like i can read chord block diagrams and and i know you know a few scales and can can improvise eh kind of right. uh, but uh but yeah like I, I i know where my weaknesses are and it's right there mm. so yeah right yeah, I, I can't read any i can read uh what do they call them um what's it called when you don't have any music at all you've got like uh, guitar tabs is it something oh like yeah that? tablatures yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. what i what i when i was learning to play songs that was that was the right. thing i would always look at yeah uh, yeah, so long as it doesn't have a B in it, basically I can play it. But um, <laughs> my fingers are uh, my fingers are just the totally the wrong shape for uh, guitars. I mean, they get better the more I do it. But I find F's challenging and B's virtually impossible for my fat sausage-like fingers. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, that's right. Yeah, and that's the thing is, there's just too many things on the go, right? Too much, too much going on. Um, so good for you. Um, and uh, you were on a podcast recently. Uh, showing off your your writing skills, so I fabulous! Was, I was uh, my my friend uh, Matt Fredrickson does a does a show uh, every other week called Freddy's Fan Fiction, uh, right. where he finds fan fiction from all over the internet, and then every week uh, one of his the previous uh, previous guests volunteers to write uh, a story. Right, uh, and this this last episode was mine, uh, and my writing prompts were Thundercats. Uh, that terrible, <laughs> terrible '80s TV cartoon. Yes. Uh, the, the characters from Cereal Box, right? Uh, like the 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 Honey Bee from Cheerio, Honey Nut Cheerios. Right, right. Tony the uh, Tiger. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and HP Lovecraft. Of course. Uh, 
so so I completely mauled all three of those things together. Nice. Uh, and uh, <laughs> yeah, it was. Have, uh, you ever got? A, have you got a selected passage for us there? Uh, I'm 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 trying to find a a good one. Uh, <laughs> Are you sure that's possible? No, no. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's 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 impossible. <laughs> to to do it because it's I I tried to ape uh, Lovecraft's tone if right, if not sure. style yes. so sentences are incredibly long and I have use after every oh it's weird uh, nice uh, it's like I was from Canada or something <laughs> that's right yeah that's uh... why is there an extra you in color I actually had that called out on the show oh, is that um, right yeah yeah. Uh, <laughs> Somebody was reading and and they got interrupted. And Freddie was like, "I noticed that you put a U there in the word mm. color. That was a, that was a nice touch." Well done. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah, that's just for the uh, people that to the pedants, I suppose, who like to be sure their fan fiction is as accurate as, as possible. I don't quite get fan. Like, I understand the idea of uh, fan fiction. I've read one piece of fan fiction in my life, and it was a woman who was some writing some sort of fantasy. I'm guessing that the character, female character in the book, was was her um but maybe with a different name and it was about her and hannibal lecter um and for some reason they were living in a motel and there was a rather long piece about hannibal lecter sitting on the bed and her ordering room service and i was like really you're gonna write fan fiction but you're gonna base it around hannibal lecter in a motel room <laughs> eating eating a, a, a uh reading room service but you know whatever blows your hair back i guess but yeah it's it's an interesting it's an interesting phenomenon because uh i mean really what's the difference between like fan fiction and a a piece from like a franchise's expanded universe yes uh, is i was gonna ask exactly that because you you (laughs) mentioned that your um book was your piece of fan fiction at least was uh, about the Lovecraft, right? And that, like, Lovecraftian writing is a genre of writing now, right? Like, it's transcended being fan fiction and become, you know, a thing, right? Right, right. Well, even in, in Lovecraft's day, and I'm not a Lovecraft scholar by any means, but I know that one of his big things was letting his contemporaries and people that, that he was writing alongside, you know, take his uh, his ideas and, and make them their own. So you have a lot mm. of stuff by, like, August Erlith and... and uh, some of his other contemporaries that were all writing uh, stories that involve his his Cthulhu mythos mm. and, what, and whatnot. So, I mean, those guys were all all professional writers, right? And writing other stuff on the side, I'm guessing. Sure. Uh, but uh, but that's that's kind of fan fictiony. It's just much much like everything else on the internet. It has been uh, 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 made accessible to everybody. Uh, whether or not that is a good thing or a bad thing really depends on the individual story. That's right, yeah. Because some people get quite angry about it, don't they? I mean, if, it's, if you're not hurting anybody, then you're, you know, then then it's fine as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, some people are very sort of angry about the just about the idea of fan fiction. But uh, but yeah, I'm just trying to think who it was now that that uh, I can't I can't bring it to mind. But anyway, some people hate it a lot, and it's interesting you should bring up um, Call of Cthulhu and the Cthulhu Mythos because I was reading on RPG. Yeah, no, I'm afraid uh, if it was you, um, then, uh, and I'm not quoting you, then apologies. But they were saying about, uh, I couldn't figure out why Cthulhu was scary or why it was that people would say, you know, you go crazy and then what's scary about about Cthulhu? Why would you go instantly uh, instantly crazy? Um, do you have any 
thoughts about why that might be? Uh, you know, I, I, I scan, scan that thread. I'm not, I'm not the hugest Cthulhu fan, but, uh, it was uh, it was interesting because it seemed like the original poster was uh, was really putting this this idea forward, you know, from a, a very twenty first century mm. uh, perspective, like yeah, right, with, yeah. with with no context about uh, you know what what Lovecraft's yes. intent was when he was writing it at right, the time. Right. Yes. Uh, you know the the concepts of of madness and. And what const or what would make a person go crazy were uh, not as well understood as they are today. Not, not right. that they're it, you know super understood today, but sure. uh, but, but we certainly have a much better right. idea. Uh, yeah. And so you know his his whole thing was he was writing about these these creatures that were far beyond comprehension. Right. Uh, and and it, when you when you see that your brain just breaks. Right. Uh, and we, you know, we don't see that these days. You know, we we rationalize everything. Yeah. Uh, do Do you think that a uh, um, part of the reason why he was struggling to see it as being uh, scary was that in Lovecraft's time, people weren't exposed to, you know, like if you've gone and seen Cloverfield, then you know you've got a feeling of what it might be like to see something as enormous as perhaps Cthulhu might be um, if they were there. And do you think that um, just exposure to all these different things um, makes you less, would make a contemporary less likely to go crazy seeing these things? Uh, I, I think it, well, in Lovecraft's time, you know, mm. these were, these were new ideas. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. We've, we've, we've had them around forever. You know, yes. the, uh, even, even kind of outside geek culture, uh, you yep. know, Cthulhu has shown up uh, in the Ghostbusters cartoon back yep. in the 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 eighties. Uh, right. You know, th this is something that's been part of American culture for for a long time, even if it's kind yep. of lived on the periphery. Uh, so, you know, we we understand it in a very different context. You know, they mm. Lovecraft was around in what the early early twentieth century, like mm -hmm. nineteen. Yep. 16, 1917 is I think when he yeah. started writing. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's still coming out of years ago almost now. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's still coming out of the, the, uh, the Victorian ideas of, mm. of horror where you had like Dracula okay. and Mary Shelley's yes. Frankenstein, which were, right, right. uh, which were very different kinds of horror stories. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, and, and his was something that was just wacky and crazy. So yeah. Mm. I mean, I mean, he was, I don't know if I, I could say he was the Stephen King of his day. I don't know if that's that's an accurate yeah. comp. Uh, yeah, it's hard to know, isn't it, whether because he sort of spawned a whole genre, history reflects on him uh, favorably, um, and what will be thought about him as in reference to, uh, sorry, in comparison to Stephen King in 100 years, 100 years' time. There's no question that he tapped into something. Um, I've, read, I've read quite a bit of H.P. Lovecraft, in preparation for running a, a Call of Cthulhu game. Um, and I agree with you in terms of the sentences and stuff, but is that my perception that his sentences are long? Is that just because I'm used to things being snappier now? Like Charles Dickens took an awfully long time to do anything, but he had to describe everything um, because right. you know, none of those tropes for people to dig into. Or like if you were going to mention an elephant, then there was no certainty that somebody would have seen an elephant on television. Yeah, right. 
it, it, it certainly didn't hurt that Dickens was paid by the page. Mm, uh, so, so he had, he had an incentive to mm. uh, write everything in, yeah, yeah. in as long a form as he could. Uh, I, I think it was probably a number of things. Uh, I've, my, my understanding is that, that Lovecraft was quite the, uh, quite the Anglophile. Uh, so, you know, despite the fact that he was an American author, he really tried to, to capture that, uh, you know, the, the style of, of uh, a British author. And Mm. so I think that, that reflects their, uh, but I mean, you see that in general in a lot of kinds of media, Mm. uh, even, you know, you look at movies today and they're significantly snappier and with more jump cuts than a movie made in the 1960s or the 1970s. I think, I think that's just kind of, uh, you know, the the next generation always wants you to get to the point faster. Yes. Yeah. I I always wondered about that because, you know, whenever you hear people talking about, you know, this generation is better than that generation and so on and so forth. I'm wondering, um, you know, is our attention span actually getting shorter or do we only have a frame of reference on our attention span in terms of the things which are you know of interest to us like if we're talking about farming 200 years ago would it be a snappier conversation than than it is now like is it just because we've got a lot more shorthand for the things that people are i don't want to say fixated but the things that people are interested in yeah i i think it could be and this is pure speculation uh that's the best kind of speculation i I know I know. I'm speculation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm beholden to nobody when I say this. Uh, I think we know a lot more now. Like, mm-hmm. like the the level of general knowledge, uh, yeah. <laughs> despite what you know, Pew polls say about about you know the state of education these days. Yeah. Uh, but we're we're aware of more things. Uh, yeah. Maybe not in as much depth, but uh, but we don't need the background reference. We don't necessarily need the context that we used to need to explore yeah. certain ideas uh, right, sure. because, because a lot of ideas are no longer new worth exploring, yeah. but no longer new ideas. We don't have to explain it from the beginning anymore. Right. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think, uh, I, I think that, that the fact, you know, that we, uh, our media tends to not necessarily be shorter in length, but, but pack more stuff into, yeah. uh, into the set right. amount of time. It yeah. could be at least partially a result of that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. Yeah, We've got a lot of uh, leg ups on ideas that don't, that once upon a time would have had to be spelt out. Like, um, the, the, I mean, an example I can think of is um, if you're going to go and, and vacuum your floor, there's no need for an instruction book on how to actually go about doing the vacuuming, right? Whereas a hundred years ago, that's something that people would have had to have, you know, would have had to have writing about. And if you wanted to include something like mostly when you get exposition in, um, in movies now, it tends to be about on the, on the technology front, right? right? Like if that's important, like you get exposition about technology, whereas previously the exposition would have been about something else altogether, right? Like it just, I think that kind of goes back to, um, idea I was sort of hoisting before which was that we've got a lot more shorthand and we spend less time talking about the things which are of interest to us but um, but my suspicions are it would have taken us like a a film for whatever reason was all about farming then the details of the farming that would have won if a film was possible to be made 200 years ago then those details wouldn't have to be spelt out right so I'm not so sure if we have a shorter attention span I just think that the things 
because we pay attention to require less less description, right? But yeah, anyway, exactly. Anyway, so apparently um, you are going to be playing Torch, or well, at least playing part of Torchbearer this evening. We sort of touched on that a little bit last time, and you and didn't seem to know much. I'm hoping you know some more. Might be able to give us a little bit more detail on this uh, new game. Uh, who's the author of it? I know that Luke Crane is somewhere in the background, but uh, um, so, yeah, it's it was written by uh, Toro Lutzeru, uh who right. is the gentleman who previously uh, did all the editing for for Burning Wheel. Uh, right. And, and all of their games. Uh, and, and Luke was the, the writer and designer. And this, I guess, they, they, they switched roles in this right. case. Uh, yeah. It started out as a hack for Mouse Guard right. uh, that, that Tor was doing and then became you know, a, a, a full product in its own right. right. Uh, and the, the Kickstarter has already met its, its funding goals. Right. Uh, so, so now it's just kind of more people pre-ordering the books, which is cool. Right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so for the backers, they uh, they release the character creation rules and the character sheets. Uh, so Sean Nittner and uh, a couple of other people and I are going to hop on Google Plus and uh, build some characters and see if we can if we can uh, squeeze out a little bit of play based on uh, based on what's on the character sheet. Right. And uh, the the mouse guard rules that we do have right. access to, right. uh, which uh, which should be fun. It's it's kind of a, an experiment in seeing how how far you can you can reverse engineer yes. a system from the character sheet uh, right. because a lot of the information that you need is already there. Right, of course. Yep, interesting. And so, uh, what more do you know about the idea behind the game uh, than you knew last time? Uh, so some of it's really, really kind of fun and interesting. Uh, it, it takes uh, it takes a, a really interesting look at, at what it means to be an adventurer in this right. in this setting. Right. Uh, usually, uh, in my experience, role playing games, you know, come out with this this idea that uh, that you're you're something special in this in this grander world, right? That, that right. your PCs are are. Uh, are something more than the regular people right. yes. around, yeah. uh, and this this kind of turns that on its head uh, right. when you when you read the the introduction to the rules. It it, uh, it comes out and says, you know, if if you're a noble, you're like the third or fourth kid, and the inheritance has already been used up. Right. Uh, and you you may have gotten shipped off to the priesthood. Uh, right. But they've got enough acolytes, so they just hand you a holy symbol and and a book and say, "Hey, go out proselytize." Like nobody yep. cares about you, right? Uh, right. And the, your only option, because you're not even you're not even qualified to farm land and you know pay all of all of the taxes to the to the nobility. Right. Uh, your your only option is to go and uh, start digging around in caves and trying to scrounge up. Uh, enough enough money to to make something of yourself right so so i think that's that's kind of fun and refreshing yeah. uh where it really it really puts you in this oh i'm not i'm not like an awesome hero i'm kind of nobody mm-hmm. uh, and i don't have enough money to eat so right. i need to do this other thing with, right. with whatever i happen to have on my back right um oh go ahead and is there a big picture uh, you're aware of it not not like there's no established setting i don't think uh right. there's there's allusions to 
in when you're when you're creating your character, there there's questions like where where's your homeland, and it'll say something like if the GM has drawn a map, uh, feel free to pick a location from there. Otherwise, just make one up. Uh, right. So so clearly, there's no there's no sort of meta setting. There's there's the implied setting of here's a world where uh, adventurers are basically looked down on uh, because right. they're they're homeless people. Right. <laughs> that go and, and rob tombs and then come up and blow all the cash in town. Right, right. Well, that's but interesting, yeah, because that's, that's, yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Like, you never really give a second thought to this idea that there's a whole occupation which has never actually existed in um, human history, at least not that I'm aware of, where you know, people go kill stuff and, and get and get money. I mean, you might argue that the Crusades were, were like that, but we're still not talking about people getting into into caves and you know killing monsters, and their job is to be an adventurer just for the just for the money, right? Right. So, right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I don't have I don't have the printout here, unfortunately. Uh, there, there's a lot of interesting things that you know. Just when you when you take a look at the sheet itself, flip it over on its back, and and the first thing you notice are your inventory slots. Right. Uh, and uh, and as you're going through character creation, it'll it'll say things like, uh, you know, you you get armor, it takes up you know this much space. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, uh, well, well, I'm trying to trying to think of some of the the more interesting things like that stuck out to me. Uh, one of them is, is picking out your origin. So when you're, when you're figuring out like what your character's relationships are, uh, it usually gives you a, 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 a couple of options. Uh, one of which is, you know, do you have parents that you, you can still stomach going in and speaking to, uh, or, or are you an orphan? Right. So uh, liking your parents is not even an option. Is <laughs> Right. Right. It's just, you know, do, are they there and, and can you access them? Right, right. Uh, and, and if you can, then, then they are a resource that you can, you can tap right, into right, providing right. you're in the same space. If, if you're an orphan, uh, you're given some keepsake that takes up either a neck slot or a, a hand slot. So right. you know, it's a necklace or a ring or something mm, along, mm-hmm. along those lines. Uh, and then they proceed to give it a value in terms of treasure, right. uh, with with the implication being sometime you are going to be faced with with this uh, dilemma where you need to spend money and all you have is this this you know heirloom right. keepsake right. that right. you had uh, right. from your dead parents, which is right. which is awesome. Uh, cool. The other thing that stuck out to me is that uh, I don't I don't know if you've played Mouse Guard or or if yeah really... yeah I played Mouse Guard yeah. okay. So, uh, so it uses the condition system, right. like like Mouse Guard does, rather than having hit points. You get yes, yep. uh, yep. the, I got a cold. Yeah, yeah. The the last one uh, on your on your sheet is dead. Right. Uh, and and the fact that it is a condition implies that it can be reversed somehow. Right. right. So, uh, I I I think uh, one of Adam Cole. I think from from uh, from Dungeon World right. uh, was has been doing like actual play tests of the game, and he was he was talking about how uh, he he uh, he sold or so one one of his party members sold all of his stuff when he died, and then right. drug him back to town, and then blew all of the money that he got from selling his character stuff to to having him raised from the dead. Right, uh, right. So. Uh, so lots of lots of stuff like that that uh, right. that should be fun. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Sounds like and, and it looks like we've got at least one viewer. And maybe if this gets up uh, in the next couple of hours, usually takes me about 
two and a half hours from starting recording to having it on the internet. So where can somebody watch that this evening? Uh, I'm not sure if we're going to do it live. If, uh, All if, right. they, if they do, uh, it will most likely. Uh, you want to watch Sean Nittner's Google yep. Plus stream. Yep, uh, so, yep. so keep an eye on uh, Sean Nittner's stream there just in case that's uh, something you want to uh, want to look into. Alrighty, so uh, now that we've covered uh, that type of stuff, we're going to dig into a topic uh, which I read on RPG net and i'd like to uh, credit whoever that was so i'm going to go ahead and uh you'll see my eyes darting around the road okay so uh, the thread is called um the biggest challenges for gms and it is by the uh, avatar called deliverator um deliverator anyway so the, the biggest challenges for gm uh, thread goes uh, what do you find to be the hardest issues to deal with when you gm any tabletop game things i've seen pay, uh, seen people say elsewhere are keeping players interested in plot, remembering all the rules, preventing or dealing with rules, arguments, and coming up with plots that have hidden information or mysteries that aren't either totally obvious or are too hard to figure out. Okay, so um, that's the uh, going to be sort of the meat, I suppose, of, uh, of today's show because I think that um, on the first season of Penny Red, oh no, second season of Penny Red, one of the questions is uh, what causes the game to die? And We've sort of touched on that a little bit, and that'll come up again, but um, almost uniformly, um, it's coordinating schedules seems to be the, seems to be the, the thing. Um, yes. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so we're going to – we'll talk about that a little bit perhaps, but we're going to put that to the side um, because that does come up on the thread uh, quite a lot. But let's assume that you've got a group of people who uh, see role-playing as – something that they schedule that they're going to do and that the people are relying on, like, say, for example, going to work or remembering to feed your dog. You know, it's something that, that's uh, important enough for you to not just blow it off at the first, um, the first shiny thing that comes up and, and takes, your, uh, takes your attention away. So let's go with the first one here, Sean. Um, keeping players interested in the plot. Now, m maybe just for the benefit of anybody that's perhaps tuning in before, um, if you could quickly um, run through your your gaming pedigree what do you play and what sort of games you lean towards and that might give people a little bit of perspective on um, where your answers are coming from okay uh, so uh, my my favorite game the my go-to game is burning wheel uh, and and all of the the games that are kind of built on that burning empires mouse guard uh, free market to to an extent mm -hmm. um, right now I'm running uh, the I'm running fate with the the Dresden files implementation right. uh but uh but yeah that's that's pretty much my my go-to stuff and then everything else kind of sits on the periphery as a oh i'd like to play this sometime. right and what sort of what sort of um games do you like on the on the spectrum from uh no uh no set rules um maybe even no gm through to um a gm and lots of very specific detailed rules uh, I'm probably closer to that that latter end of the spectrum. Uh, right. I uh, I agree with the uh, the apparently not not super popular opinion uh, that that rules are kind of the the objective uh, objective source that everybody can kind of look at and right. and be like, okay, this in this situation, this is what we do. They don't have to be highly like specifically detailed in terms of like we're trying to create realism uh right but, but they definitely need to to funnel play in the direction that the game was intended 
uh, to, to be run. Right. So um, the consistency then. I mean, I think consistency is the watchword, um, I would hope, was most people's watchword for role-playing, regardless of what sort of system you, uh, you run. But um, knowing where you stand at any given time, I think, is probably a hallmark of um, more rules heavy, uh, more rules heavy games, right? So, so yeah. that's that's sort of that's Sean's end. I'm probably for those that haven't heard me talk before, I'm probably at the. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to say at the at the opposite end, but I think the consistency is important. But I'm a little bit more interested in doing what feels right or what's something cool that could happen in the game and then trying to figure out ways to, to make that happen within the context. But, but yeah, I mean, I, yeah. So my, I find, um, I find burning wheel challenging to play because there are so many rules and I'm not really good with remembering rules. And um, for me, there's not a lot of interest in uh, a very complicated set of, things happening within the game uh, sort of building up to a, to a series of roles. I, I want to sort of like have it happen and then move on. So that's sort of the two ends we're coming at. So hopefully um, that'll create some interesting, um, I wouldn't suppose say conflict, but you should get some, some opposing, some opposing views as we go along. So anyway, let's tackle the first one then. Um, Cause I think it's probably going to be uh, universal. Weather. So keeping players interested in the plot. So let's, let's assume um, well, let's we, let's tackle it from two angles. Let's first of all talk about um, how important is having a plot to start with, and second of all, um, about what sort of emphasis should be placed on plot and what should be emphasis should be played on on character development. And then maybe we can make some references within that to games that encourage one or the other. So go ahead, Sean. What do you uh, so about the first one? I think plot's kind of a weird word, right? Uh, because mm. it implies that that the the events that are coming have already mm. been set up right uh, sure the game on rails uh yeah to, to an extent at least sure. uh and and i don't think that, that you can objectively say that that's definitely a bad thing right uh for for all all gamers some people really really just want to experience you know kind of kind of go on the ride as it were yeah, sure yeah uh yep. My personal preference is to have a really, uh, a really tight and grabby starting situation yep. uh, that that everybody kind of agrees on and can uh, can build their characters around to, to focus that that situation, make it yep. something that they that they buy into. Uh, yep. Because that's generally, in my opinion, what what people are talking about when they say you know keeping people interested in the plot is buying into what we're doing right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Then that's important, I think, regardless of what game you're playing, because there's always that conceit that people are going to sort of go along um, with whatever because they want to be part of the part of the game. But I think that so that you don't start off with a really weird sort of um, disjointed opening, because the you know like everybody meets in a tavern and then they go off on adventure together, or you know something you see something and then everybody gets involved. And the first thing somebody's saying is, "Well, my character probably wouldn't do this." to do something else altogether so but i'll just sort of pretend that he cares and then go along with it. i think that maybe making sure that either you create the characters that are intrinsically have that intrinsically care about the opening um is important or um you guys need to all get together to start with and figure out where you want your story to go before you create your character so that you can already be be fitting in right yeah exactly uh i, I can even give you an example my uh the the game that has unfortunately 
been uh, been repeatedly put on hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we started, a, a, you know, coming up with the uh, burning wheel campaign for some new players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I threw out five, six different campaign pitches. The one they they kind of grabbed onto was a group of people who were uh, in a prison uh, a prison wagon being transported from one place to another when they're attacked. Right. Uh, so from that, all they had to do was, okay, who are the prisoners? Which, you know, why are they there? Who attacked them? And they don't have, you know, we don't know what's going to happen from there, but they know where they're starting from right. and what kind of characters they're going to have uh, right. in that, in that situation. Right. Right. Okay. So, um, so then, Directly, sort of addressing the 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 plot is what? Um, why would players become disinterested in the plot? Is it going to be a case of people being um, like the characters not being engaged enough, or they just it's difficult to keep people interested in uh, a story um, that's maybe not going in the direction that they had wanted? Or uh, I I think it's. Uh generally speaking that that seems to be a thing that happens when uh when one person kind of unilaterally decides where the game's going right right sure uh so so it's you you kind of avoid that by having the players be able to uh you know take a step back and and look at all of their their kind of options you know what's what's happened during play you know at the end of the session take take a step back and be like all right so what do we want to focus on for the next session, and then the, right. the GM can be like, "Oh, you want to go chase after the giant spiders that you guys ran into? Awesome!" And then you right. know, make some notes about what's what's going on with the giant spiders, right? Uh, and because then you're you're kind of playing. It's not the GM following the players around and trying to, right. to pick up the pieces. It's yes. everybody kind of agreeing on what the next yeah. part of the situation that they're dealing with is, and yeah. moving on from there. Yeah. And I think that that part of that is that um, I mean, just it, you know, without being sort of new, too new agey about it, it is a relationship. There's a relationship between the players and the characters. Um, sorry, the players. Sorry, and the and the GM. And part of the, in order to make the relationship work, you know, it takes work. So the players themselves have to find ways to make sure that their players are engaged. It's not the GM's responsibility to make sure that you're, you know, that you're having having fun. Like, I mean, to talk about, to go back, way back to episode uh, 14, I think it was, and Satine, uh, Phoenix, you described um, a game as being like a meal. Um, the GM can sort of make the meal, but the people need to actually eat it if they're going to get any, you know, enjoyment out of it. And there's no point being a vegetarian rolling up to a barbecue without telling somebody ahead of time, um, you know, to maybe can you put some portobello mushrooms on or something because <laughs> I don't want to eat, eat the meat, right? So so linking those two ideas together um, and going back to addressing the question itself is keeping players interested in the plot, is that a problem? And I would say that it's not your responsibility as the GM to keep the players interested in the plot. Um, having said that, if you're in the position where there is a GM, then you need to be... Um, aware of and certainly open to the things that the players are interested in, but the players also have to come half the way and start throwing interesting things out and making sure they don't just sit there and seethe and boil just like in a regular relationship without saying, you know, this is not working for me or I'd like to see more of this or I'm not, you know. Right, right, exactly. And and uh, 
you know, to, to kind of kind of bring that relationship together. Uh, the GM's just another player in the game. Hmm. Uh, yes, he or she may have specific duties within that game, uh, hmm. but that that just means that their job is different. It's not it's not a, a, a hierarchical problem. No, uh, right. Yeah. And 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 that being the case, there should be a lot of 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 back and forth. You know, the the, the GM is is obligated to listen to what the players want yeah. what they're interested in yeah, sure. uh, and and the players are are obligated if they're playing you know if they're all on the same page and playing the same game mm. to to engage with uh with what the the gm has has come up with uh based on on their feedback yeah for sure and oh and it's not okay as a player to say i don't like this and then not offer something right right i don't like it i, I don't I want to do something else what else do you want to do i don't know that's that's doesn't that doesn't work. You know, if you're going to get to a situation where, like you say, the, the GM is just another player with slightly different things that they need to do, because you are playing a game together, then, then uh, it's, you know, you've got to, if you're going to complain about something, you've got to offer some kind of constructive criticism or offer something else, yeah. preferably both. Yeah. Well, uh, playing, playing a, uh, a role playing game uh, is, is an exercise in compromises. Mm, right. Exactly. Uh, everybody has to compromise their vision just just a little bit to accommodate everybody else, yeah. uh, and that's that's what keeps it fun. Like, right. not everybody gets everything they want, but everybody right. can get most of the things that they want out of the game. Right. And it's the synergy between uh, it's the synergy that often rises out of those compromises that that keeps things interesting, right? Because if you decide this is what's going to happen, that's going to happen, that's going to happen, then then you're, at least in my opinion, that's not very interesting for my character. I want to have adversity and I want interesting things to happen that I hadn't anticipated. I think game to go in interesting directions, right? So, so yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw a line under that one. Then I think we've, uh, I think we've got that one uh, pretty well uh, ironed out for everybody. So problem solved there. Um, keeping players interested in the plot, that's not your job. Um, everybody needs to get involved in, in the plot so that everybody has a good time. So, so that one's that one's done. So the next one is remembering all the rules. And this one, I'm, I don't want to say call myself guilty of it because um, I don't remember the rules, which doesn't mean I run roughshod over the ones I do remember. But the games that I've gravitated towards and the ones that I've written are short on short on rules and. You're at the opposite end of the scale, so I'll just lay out my my my. Um, I'll plant my flag, and then you can then you can go ahead and, and do likewise, and we can lob grenades at each other. But um, <laughs> my feeling is that um, more rules don't, for me at least, don't necessarily make it better. I think probably we'd agree on that. But um, I find that when there are very very specific rules um, for everything, I start to worry that I'm not. That I'm being unfair if I'm not if I'm not using them all. Now, if everybody's having a good time, everybody's winning. I get that, but um, I find that sometimes uh, it slows me down. It stops me doing the things that that I want to do because I don't remember remember what all the rules are. So um, I would say that if you're playing, that if you're going to run a game, it's not really such a player if you're a problem. But if you're going to, uh, sorry, not such a problem if you're the player. But if you're a GM and you're going to run a game, then being familiar with the rules. Um, is your responsibility. You can't show up and say, we're going to play a burning wheel game and then just run roughshod over the rules because people come there thinking, you know, that's what I'm going to get and this is how I'm going to be able to steer my character around based upon uh, based upon what it is that I know. So if you're going to be the GM, then 
you are going to create a problem if you don't know your rules because your game is going to have no shape, um, particularly, um, and I'll let you talk more about this, Sean. I played in The Gift, which is a game that Sean run a big bad con. And is that a, is that a stock um, yeah. demo game for Burning Wheel? A lot of people probably played that one. Yes, yes, it is. Um, um, go ahead. I was just going to say it's 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 one of my favorite, but it's it's not an easy scenario by by any means. So, so so and within within the gift, and this is perhaps maybe a useful um, maybe a useful thing for us to sort of go at this from. Um, there was a lot of stuff going on. I got the idea of what the ultimate idea was behind it, but I literally had no idea what it was I need to roll. I mean, I know, Sean, you, you needed to tell me, like, you need to roll this, or you need to do that. But even within that, I was just like, okay, I'll, I'll do that. I'll, I'll do that. I, I'm really interested in what's going on. I like how this is how this is all sort of going in together. But that was my interest. Um, I, it wouldn't have been interesting if you hadn't been there to keep a careful eye on, you know, what people need to roll, and what effect it was having on the game. And the interest came out of your descriptions and the way um, that you sort of marshaled that that conflict. And without you knowing the rules, then that wouldn't have been fun. That game would have been half an hour as opposed to four hours. And um, I don't think I would have enjoyed it. So in that respect, not knowing the rules is, would have been death for the game. It wouldn't have been interesting. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I completely agree with everything that you said there. Um, the the that particular scenario is a little weird uh, because a lot of people run it as a hey let's it, here's a game that you can run at a con in, in a four hour spot where you can fit eight people at the table. Right. Right. Uh, and and it's not it's not a good. In my opinion, it's not a good scenario for teaching people how to play Burning Wheel. No, sure. It is. Uh, it's an awesome scenario if you have, uh, say, say four or five people at the table who are are competent players. Right. I, I, I say competent in the, you know, not in like this guy doesn't know how to play a game. Uh, right. You know, if if you sit down and play Ticket to Ride, and you know the rules, it's way easier than if you don't. Right. right and, sure. and burning wheel kind of comes from that same uh that same school of thought where right. where role playings are role playing games are as much a game to be played as they are uh a thing to do together where we come up with a story right right sure yeah. uh yeah, so uh so it, it's it's not a very good uh, a very good scenario to run for a whole lot of new people uh right sure because you have you have eight players, one GM. Uh, it's a very uh, player player against player uh, mm. kind of kind of scenario, sure. uh, which is which is it, it really really sings when you have eight people who who know the game, yeah, not even perfectly but fairly well, and, yeah. and know how to leverage all of the the little moving bits in order to to get a cool story out of. Uh, and I've sure. had experiences like that with, with people who knew what they were doing, and yeah. and it just came out amazing. Uh, right. I've also had eight people who had no idea what they were doing. Right, they must be uh, a nightmare. Oh yeah, it, it's it, it can be ridiculous. And uh, you know, when I the first few times I ran it was when I first started playing Burning Wheel in two thousand seven, right. uh, where I didn't know the rules very well, and it was a it was a complete clusterfuck. 
It was ridiculous. Right, sure. Yeah. Uh, and not fun for anybody. It wasn't fun for me. It was dissatisfying. It was dissatisfying for everybody else. Sure. Uh, so, so my ability to to adjudicate that game mm. has has in, increased as I've played more. Uh, right. But uh, but yeah, that's that's kind of a that's kind of a, a special case scenario. I, yeah. I feel like there are there are other stock oh, scenarios yeah. that are that are much more demo-y than that. Sure, sure. But but I think that that really. Um, puts the microscope on the essence of that question, which is, if you don't know the rules, can that prevent people having fun? And the answer is, yes, it can. You can, yes. really, you can really mess things up if you don't know the rules. So is not knowing the rules a problem for a GM? Yes, it is, but it's a solvable problem. It's not something ephemeral where you can't necessarily get your head around what it is that you need to do to make sure your game doesn't die because of that. It's something you can literally do something about. You can go ahead and make sure you read the rules. You can talk to people about it online. You can not say, you know what, let's play Burning Wheel this week. And then seven days later, expect suddenly to, to have a handle on how the whole thing goes. I don't think you could do that with Burning Wheel. I don't think oh, no. that a week, a week could be enough time that you'd want to see people do it. You'd want to talk to people about it because the mechanic in that game is crucial to... Um, what adds the tension and makes the game fun. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and you know what? I even go one step further. Uh, you know, this, uh, that, that premise that getting people like knowing the rules is a problem for the GM. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think it's a slightly flawed premise right? Uh, sure. because I am, I'm a big believer in everybody at the table knowing the game that they're playing. Yep, you, you, sure. you wouldn't sit down and play settlers of Catan you know, with, you know, in say, I know they do tournaments for it. Uh, right, you wouldn't right. want to sit down at a tournament setting of, of settlers with yes. people who had no idea what they were doing. That's right. Uh, it would not be fun for them as they just yeah. got run, you know. Yeah, and it would not be fun for the people in the game that knew how to play as well. It's kind of like candy from a baby. It's like, this is not a challenge. You yeah, know? Ex exactly. And and Burning Wheel specifically and and all of the games that are that are built on it are are – uh, part of the core of that is that uh, the the game gets more fun as more people, you know, have mm. a greater handle on the rules. Uh, yep. So I would say it's it is a responsibility of of the players to learn the game, especially if there's mm. you know if if somebody's playing a wizard and they have special rules about being a wizard, yeah, yeah. they should know them. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. I think that. Uh, yeah. I think we can agree on that. So, I think that that second one is uh, remembering the rules is not a is not a problem. Um, I think that that is a lack of preparation, and I think that a lack of preparation in whatever direction is a problem for a GM. So, um, if you're going to run a game that has no prep or low prep, um, then then that's fine. That's that's great. Um, but I think that if you're going to do that then you must have a pretty good handle on what the rules are ahead of time so that you can um, go ahead and make sure it doesn't take half an hour even to get set up, right? Like like preparation is important, I think, probably would be a, a blanket statement that would go above that. And if you're playing a prepless game, you've got to at least know your rules or know what the things are that are going to make the game interesting, not just, uh, just, not just roll up.
Alrighty, so let's go to the third one there, which is preventing or dealing with rules arguments. This kind of strikes me as being sort of a sub a subset of the uh, of the last question. I'm when there are rules arguments or rules disagreements um, for myself, I know I'm likely to to not dwell too much on the specifics of it um, and try and find a resolution that's good for everybody and then move along rather than whipping out the books and having a having a rules debate. But I've got a feeling that you're going to be uh, the opposite end of the spectrum on on that one. So you're probably better to talk to that than I am. Uh, you know, I don't I don't think we're we're as far as uh, apart as we think. Um, I think anytime that there's there's a situation where you have to adjudicate rules, uh, mm. <clears throat> generally it's an explicit responsibility of the game master to to make the ruling. Right. Right. Sure. Uh, e- even even in that you know that idea that you have a level playing field. This is this is a rule that applies to to the GM's role. This right. is what you have to do. Uh, in a in a well designed game, you usually have something to fall back on. If you don't know what the rule is specifically for here, there should be something to to, to kind of fall back on. If I don't know how to uh, how to deal with you know two people who want to have an argument, uh, well, we can always you know fall back on the idea of you guys make a versus role uh, because we both we, everybody knows how to do that and how it works. And we just, you know, move on from there. And then at the end of the session, you know, everybody, you know, goes back to their rule books, looks up to see, okay, what would have been a better solution in the, in this situation. And then, you know, go at it, go at it from there. Uh, I think there's a lot more of that happening in, in the games that maybe I prefer than, than yours. Right. Uh, But, but I, I I don't think there's a, there's a, a significant difference in how that, uh, is handled by you know responsible players. Oh, I agree. I agree that the resolution is uh, is not different. I think that if you've got people on the same page, you want to have a good game, that it's not going to cause a problem. But have you been in a situation where you're having an argument with with somebody about about the rules of the about the rules of a game, burning wheels, say for example, or anything else that like we just been like, I think it's like this, I think it's like that, and here's and here's why. Or have you never really been a, a sort of a at a full stop because of a rules disagreement? Uh, generally. We've uh, we've had it come up. Uh, I'm playing in somebody else's Burning Wheel game right now, and he and I have very uh, very different approaches. He's way looser with the rules that than I am. Uh, I'm, I'm maybe just more of a hard ass. I don't know. Uh, so so we'll we'll often come to uh, come to situations where uh, I'm a, I'm a big believer in making as few dice rolls as possible, you know, despite the fact that it's a big crunchy system, hmm. uh, the intention is you only roll when, when the roll really matters. Right. Well, of course, uh, yeah. So, so if you're, if you're walking down a hallway and the, the challenge is, uh, do, do you guys spot the thing that's been following you as you come down the hallway, uh, you have one person roll, everybody else helps. And there's only one dice roll made and it yeah. applies across the board. Right. Uh, whereas he'll, he'll tend to fall back on the, the traditional, like everybody rolls their, their perception and then you have to figure out who's doing it. Right. And so when we, when we have, uh, when we have arguments, they don't take very long. Number one, right. it's, it's, it's much more friendly than, a, than an argument. It's more of a, right. you know, I think it would work better if we, yes. we did it yeah. this way. Yeah. Uh, but, but that, that does happen. Uh, I, I, I try not to be a jerk about it. 
Have you had that happen in a convention setting with somebody you don't know? Because this is somebody that you have to deal with on a weekly basis, so it's unlikely to get acrimonious. But have you had anything come up like that in a, in a convention setting where you've got where somebody wants to just flip over the table and they're just, no, you're wrong, and I, you are wrong because I don't like you? I've never had it happen to me. Uh, right. I, was, I was in a fake game where somebody got up and walked away from the table because the GM, uh, I, I don't know how experienced you are with fake. Uh, I know a little bit about fight, yeah. Okay, so so why one of uh, arguably the best rules in that game is being able to uh, spend a fake point to tag an aspect to make a fact in the game true. Yeah. Uh, so so this this character had a had an aspect of uh, like a friend in every port or something. We were right, playing a right. space game. Sure. Uh, and he was trying to get some information. He was like, "Well, can I just get pay a fake point to say that you know." There's there's a mechanic or some somebody who I would know because right. I have this aspect, uh, and the correct answer to that question is yes, yeah. <laughs> yes you can absolutely do that. Yeah. Uh, and the GM started hemming and hawing, and then finally you know saying making up some reason why that wouldn't that wouldn't work. Not not right. a good reason. Just sure. this is getting in the way of what I want, how I want things to go. Yeah, so yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. and that sort of thing yeah. that happened multiple times in that situation. Yeah. That guy got up and left. Yeah. Uh, I don't blame him. I sh- should have, but I, you know, when it, when it comes to, to interpersonal conflict like that, you yeah. know, I'm like, eh, this is, this is, this is beyond the, I disagree with how, yeah. how you see the rules and, uh, you know, this is the GM kind of being a jerk. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I, that the guy walking away from the table, I think that, that, um, when you made the description, I'm immediately thinking, okay, there's a plot here that he doesn't want to be disturbed by this guy finding something out. So he's trying to block him um, because his plot is weak, right? Was that? Yeah, that- yeah, oh yeah, that's exactly what was what was yeah. going on. Uh, yeah. And the the player was rightly trying to leverage the the rules, which mm. everybody had access to, right? In order to do that, and uh, right. and got got blocked for for it yeah. for no real good reason. Yeah, that, that's the biggest way to make an enemy, I think, is tell somebody they can't, that, that to remove, I mean, that's just like removing character, player agency, right? It's like, yeah, nope. yeah, well, and there's a huge difference between, you know, that thing that, that you say you want to do, not really appropriate in this situation. Right. You, you can't, you can't just roll to go and, 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 you know, slip, you know, go meet the king. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, sometimes that just that just doesn't work in the fiction, and that's that's yeah. fine. But this yeah. was, yeah, yeah. and a, a repeated repeated violation of that as well. Okay. So, um, so let's sum up then for prevent uh, preventing or dealing with uh, with rules arguments. Problem, not a problem. Uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's a problem. It's uh, generally if you're stopping the game to argue rules, there are deeper issues. Yeah. Uh, Rational people go, ah, oh, let's look that up later, or yeah, yeah. you know, oh, here's the right rule. And That's right. Yeah, and if you're okay. in a, and if you're in a convention, don't take up half an hour to have an argument with the person running the game, or if you're running the game, don't spend an hour to argue with the player in the game, because um, the other three people, or however many there are, will be sitting there scratching their head, or and then eventually just getting cheesed off, and then nobody's having a good time. So, anyway, so. Lastly, coming up with plots that have hidden information or mysteries that are either totally obvious or too hard to figure out. And this is this one I think is probably going to be the um, is the is the hardest one to uh, is the hardest one to reconcile. And it comes down a little bit to um, that blurred edge between what my character knows and what I know, and how charming I am 
and how charming my character is. Everybody likes to play their character, but the reality is that oftentimes you may be playing a character who is more charming than you are. So even if you're trying your best to role play that, um, that charmingness, it's difficult sometimes to know what the right things to say are because you as the player is less gifted um, than the character that you're playing. Um, but Burning Wheel deals that pretty well, right? That's one of the, that's part of the, the thing that. Uh, that's yeah. The, right. Yeah. And it, and it, uh, it, it approaches that kind of specific problem from, from an interesting angle. Uh, the, the first thing, uh, and I think this is universal for all, for all games, not just Burning Wheel, uh, is the idea that, you know, the characters don't exist. Uh, really, characters are an interface for the player to play the game, right? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's your, your way. It's basically your Windows desktop for yeah. D&D or whatever you happen yeah. to play. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, doing the, the acting in character and all of that bit is awesome and fun and, and should absolutely be, be done. Uh, but when it comes to, I need my character to be able to, to do a thing that I personally am not capable of, of doing, yeah. you know, you need to or even describing, back. right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you look at your numbers and be like, this guy would know things that, that I don't, I can't mm. come up with the words for it right now. Can I just roll blah? And, mm, mm, and mm. you know, assume that 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 happens. You know, yes. I I tell them how dire the situation is. Mm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and it, and it and it doesn't. It generally speaking, that's that's not even weak. Like it, it comes across fine in the fiction. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And and that probably that question highlights a second larger problem, again, which is that. You need if you, if something is that important in your fiction, um, you can't be mad at your players for not getting the breadcrumb trail that you've laid out. You you just can't because if they don't get your breadcrumb trail, your breadcrumb trail is the problem. It's not. It wasn't good enough. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. If, and and so if you're going to if something in your your fiction is that important then you need to offer multiple ways for people to see things. You need to have some events lined up so that one way or another, they're going to get to the bottom of whatever it is you want them to get to the bottom of and in an organic way. But don't, don't write yourself into a corner where it's, it's vital that somebody makes this one role. Otherwise, they're going to just going to be turning around in circles, having no idea how to proceed because that's not your players not being smart enough. That's you not writing. I mean, assuming we're talking about a, 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 a sort of GM style game, it's you not writing well enough or you not considering or at least allowing options for people to get at this information. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and one, of the, one of the best techniques, one of my favorites, uh, and one that, that Burning Wheel embraces and why I really, really like it, uh, is the, the idea of dramatic irony where right. it's not about... Uh, it's not about the players having to, to, to read the GM's mind and figure things out. You know, if, if an NPC has information that you need to get from him, uh, but he doesn't want to tell you. And so he's going to lie rather than dancing around the, the, the situation you role play what he says and say, you know, this guy is clearly hiding something. What are you going to do? Right. Uh, Right. Because what are you going to do about it is much more interesting than, 
you know, trying to figure out if the person is, is lying to you. It's way easier to just be like, yeah, this is, this is it. Or if yeah. you're doing like a, a pick up the clues game, uh, Gumshoe actually handles this pretty well. If you have the right skill, you just get the clue. You don't have to roll. If you're in the right area, uh, right. You, you walk in and you're like, oh, you've got forensics? Awesome. So as you go around the room, like you pick up some yes. uh, you know, yeah. fingerprints or whatever. Yeah. And then uh, you, know, you, have, you have the information in the correct place and the players you know, doing what, what they should be doing, which is mm. you know, making the connections between things. Yes. Uh, I mean, I suppose you could make ridiculous connections, but yeah. uh, we, we'll, we'll assume for the sake of argument that, that you haven't come up with something that's, that's so highly improbable that nobody would ever figure it out. Right. Right. And uh, along with that a little bit, and we'll circle back around in a second, but way back in episode four, um, I was, uh, Sean Nittner and I disagreed on, uh, players, some players knowing stuff and some players not knowing stuff secrets within the secrets within the game. How are you on somebody knowing something? Um, and somebody else not knowing something. And we're talking about players here, let alone the characters. Like the actual players themselves have have accessed different pieces of information. Somebody's been passed a note and it says such and such is a vampire, but nobody else knows it. Like, how do you feel about that? That's a, that's a hard one to answer. In in general, there there are specific cases in which this is not this is not true. So there are exceptions to to this. Of course, yeah. We'll assume that there are plenty of exceptions. Yeah. Uh, but but generally, uh, I don't like to keep those kinds of secrets at the table. Right. Okay. Uh, it it avoids a whole lot of uh, of problems if everybody at the table is on the same page as to what's going on. Uh, right. And most people are adult enough to be able to uh, to to go ahead and be like, oh, this is the case. You know, I know it, but my character doesn't. Right, yeah, yeah. If somebody is secretly the, the king or, you know, the, the, the crown prince and he knows mm. it, but nobody yeah. else does, it's yeah. fine if the players are aware of that. And in right. fact, that generally, in my experience, adds to, uh, to, to, to getting that played up, making, you know, being made a big deal. Because mm. now everybody knows that that guy is interested in doing that thing and mm. will take actions to facilitate it because everybody's kind of taking responsibility for everybody right. else's fun. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't think we d disagreed on, on that idea specifically, but one of the things, um, one of the, uh, I'm actually trying to remember exactly what we disagreed about, but anyway, um, that scenario, is there ever a situation where the players are going to be like, Oh, that's so cool. You were the king all along. Now that makes perfect sense to me because it's a secret that doesn't actually affect anybody else um, in terms of like, I'm going to put poison in that person's drink. I'm really going to try and kill them. Then that's sort of as a, as a PVP type scenario. But if this guy happens to be the king, um, then, and it, and the fact that he's the king doesn't have any direct effect on any of the other players in the game is that something that might actually be cooler for the, the players also not to know? I think it, you can't rule out the problem or the possibility, right? Like, sure. and, and it's going to depend, you know, you're going to know what the people you're playing with are into way better than I, mm. I do. Sure. Uh, 
you know, if I, if I, if I make a suggestion, I make it, uh, as a matter of, you know, this is probably best practices for dealing with a larger group of people. You know, when you, when you, when you know people and you're tight with them, because I assume that if you're playing regularly, you're playing yeah. with people who are your friends, yeah, sure. uh, you know, yeah, you, you can, you can do things that, you know, like that, if you know that that is something that they're going to be into. Right, uh, right. I think the the problem is that you can you can never really know that. Uh, yeah, you know, in, in in a lot of in a lot of situations. Yeah, uh, you know, and and it's it's easy to fall into the trap of well, this this works you know all the time with you know my players who I've been playing with for the last ten years, uh, and when we're not gaming together, we're going out and seeing the movies and mm-hmm, you know mm. coming over to each other's house for dinner. Sure. Uh, you know that that's a very different situation than you know like i i'll run games randomly on g plus with a lot of different people if i have the opportunity and time uh so if if i make sure that everybody you know everybody has the same expectations from the game you avoid that entirely yeah yeah so so yeah like what you're talking about it can work and but i think it's kind of an exception to the rule Uh, right you know it, it you know, if you're talking about running games at a convention, yeah. yeah, it's way easier to to just be like, who wants to play the king? Nobody knows he's the king, right? But yeah, who wants to play him? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. And and people will be like, oh, awesome, somebody's the king. That's going to be interesting. And, right, and that's sure. the other thing. If if it doesn't affect anything, why are you doing it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I was thinking more from a standpoint of um, somebody's got a perhaps it's got a motivation that the other people in the, in the game don't have, but it's not going to be a case of you get to the end and ha ha ha. That's when I, I activate this chip that I put in your head at the start of the game and all your brains explode, you know, sort of removing that player agency, you know, that sort of thing is not, is not, uh, is not good. But um, let's say in the, in the fiction of a game and, and we'll wrap it up after this, let's say in the fiction of the game, you've got a couple of people doing different things. And somebody goes here and does something, and somebody goes there and does something, um, and their character has some gained some kind of advantage from what it is that they've what it is that they've seen. But it doesn't give them any kind of advantage over the other player. So let's say they find a chest full of gold, okay, and the other player doesn't find a chest full of gold because they go in the completely the different in a completely different direction, um, and that's something that happens without the other person here. Like you, you, you go away from the table and you discuss a little something and then you come back. Um, is that different to going away from the table and having a conversation about stabbing the other guy in the back um, when he's not looking? Like is the crux of it player agency or is it that everybody should know what's going on all the time? Uh, I, I definitely fall in the, in the latter camp. Uh, everybody's playing the same game, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're if you're if you're getting up from the table and and having side conversations, yep. uh, it 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 can make things very awkward. Uh, in my experience, sure. I've I've had games that have you know not like doing that that very same thing, even when it's completely innocent. Yep. Like it's sure. it's not it's not. A big deal. Nobody's like backstabbing or, or yes, you know, yeah, yeah. conspiring against against another player. Yeah. Right. Uh, but but now you have you know somebody who who regardless of what happens comes back to the table, 
you know, with the 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 look at the cat that just ate the canary mm-hmm. because yeah. they did something they thought was awesome. Yeah, and everyone's right, going, yeah. "What? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah." What? What's, what's I will Yeah, uh, and and generally, uh, and this could just be the style of game that I'm used to playing. Right. Uh, when when one person finds the 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 uh, the chest full of gold and and nobody else has it, yeah. uh, you know that everything everything affects everything else in the game. Yeah. Uh, you know, I tend to not run games with, with solid plots uh, because I'm a firm believer that RPGs do not tell stories. We tell stories about what happened in RPGs. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so, so finding that chest of gold is an important thing in the story because your yeah. character did that. Yeah. Uh, and, and removing the ability for other players to, to interact with that thing. Yes. Uh, Removes removes their agency. If everybody knows it, then somebody else can be like, "Oh, oh, it would be so cool if I figured out that you had that." Yeah, right. Yep. Yeah. Oh, you want to figure that out? Awesome. Roll this. Roll this. Roll this. And then you have a conflict over this this chest of gold, which is way more interesting than somebody like running off and yes, having having it on their private loot list. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's the and that's the thing. Um, If I can sort of round the whole thing up, is that. The difference there is that you've got somebody who wants to gain some kind of almost like a points advantage by having the treasure and nobody else having it, as opposed to somebody who wants to be involved in telling a cool story. Right. They've got the treasure. They've got one up on everybody else, and they're quote-unquote winning in a game that doesn't really support winning or at least shouldn't support winning. Yeah, at least not in that sense. I think that there are victory conditions in RPGs, but but not sure. not not necessarily over over your your fellow players. Right, for sure. Yeah. Okay. So let's so wrapping that one up. Then we've got coming up with plots that have hidden information or mysteries that aren't either totally obvious or are too hard to figure out. I think yes, that can be a problem, but only if you don't take the trouble to figure out how people are going to discover that. If you put it, if you to paint yourself into a corner where somebody has to make a role uh, in order for them to discover that, in order for the game to go on, then I think you're taking an unnecessary risk. Either you don't get them to roll and you have them discover it, or you need to have, you know, three different ways they can discover that same piece of information. So, Yeah, and possibly five or six, or just give it to them, because <laughs> you never right, know yeah. what people are going to do. That's, that is so true. Ladies and gentlemen, Sean Hayworth. I will uh, endeavor to have Epidai Ravishol next week. But until then, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from Sean, who's going to... Goodbye. (laughs) And until then, keep talking the walk.